soon as I see that red light, I know it's time to go. Thanks, Carl. All right. Microphone check. Oh, I got it now. You can hear me? Can you guys? Do I, do I sound any different? You sound like your voice is richer, more deep, maybe, more, more verbose, if I may. Wow. <laughs> yep. Ready to host a new uh, radio special. Come on, Dom. Yeah. Hey, hey, get, I'm not going to clap because I don't want this mic to pick up all the claps, but it won't pick up your up. claps. Oh, that's good then. Hey, clap it up. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> clap, hey, clap it up uh, for Embrace Matters of Race podcast going live today. If you're listening, today is the day uh, that we, we are celebrating 9 15 20. 9 15 20 is the day that we went live officially and dropped. Uh, now three episodes are available on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes. Awesome. And soon to be Spotify. The thing is, though. Soon to be Spotify. What'd you say, Jay? Is that, but by the time this episode's put on there and broadcast and post, I mean, it's not going to be 9.15. So it's not like today is not the day. That's true. That's That's true. true. Today is not the day. When you listen to this, it'll be, I don't know. I don't know when you'll be listening. It won't be 9.15.20. But we can still mark and celebrate this historical event. Yes. Right, right. So just give Hello, it up. Hello, people in the future. <laughs> give, it up. give it up oh, for now. Y'all. Um, we have worked so hard, y'all. And I just want to big up y'all for jumping on this dream, this bandwagon, and being like, you know what, Dom, I'm going to support this. I'm going to become a part of this. And now it's starting to snowball a little bit. And I'm excited and nervous. We'll see. I'm excited. What proportion are you excited to nervous? I'm more excited than nervous uh, because I'm an actor, performer by trade, you know, an improviser. So I don't get too nervous. But I think I think the nervousness is more like anxiousness because I look forward to mm. I look forward to input. So yeah. is that is that eagerness? Eager, yeah, eagerness for notes. Like I'm eager to hear what people have to say. Yeah. Whether it be good or bad, I, I'm just like, give me something. Like it's like an actor without a director. I know you understand what I'm saying, Jay. Yeah. It's it's really bad when you don't have a, a good director and clear direction. But anyways, I mean, this is what we're looking for, right? We're hoping to get good input. We want dialogue with other people. We want dialogue with the community, and we want to just have greater um, impact on the community. So this Absolutely. is what we're looking forward to the to the input we get from others yeah yeah and also i want to reiterate we we have episodes zero one and two are up on apple music apple itunes apple itunes apple itunes spotify apple podcasts <laughs> apple, yeah, apple itunes podcast iTunes anymore do they i don't know i mean apple like buys the whole world anyway so everything is just right. Right, right. Well, uh, I got a couple of questions for the people. They're kind of rhetorical. Uh, I have an actual question for you guys. Uh, listeners out there, are you still for the cause? I started to see some, some murmurings about people have finally started going back to not caring. Mm. You know, it's been a while since we've seen a wild video someone being killed by the police, no one's protesting anymore, no one's talking about it. 
even posts aren't getting as much likes anymore. In my live, I said, my struggle will not be trending to you. There's, this is nothing trendy about this. And now we're seeing a dip in how many people really support the black lives that are being lost on the streets. But my question to you all is, uh, this podcast, we're gonna, we're gonna dive into this. What does evil need to succeed? What does evil need to succeed? Um, is that a question for us? Is that yes, that's a question for you. <laughs> no, rhetoric here. Um, I think it needs sensationalism. I think all you need is something visceral to kind of lure the low hanging fruit. Not just as far as like class or quality people, but just the lowliness of any of us, I think. I am, I think I'm easily enticed by um, some things. I'm not as vocal, but I do get pretty emotional when I see somebody say something that is an insult or say something that's um, clearly an opinion, but stated as a fact or with authority. And I, I, I honestly feel that a lot of people are like that too. Yeah. 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 I feel that. I feel that this was a hard question for me. Yeah. I think for me, like what does evil need to succeed? Is that the question? Yes. Okay. Uh, hopefully I get this answer right uh, on the test of life here, but uh, man, uh, I would say the absence of good mm or you know the suppression of good okay. and that you know i think that basically when 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 right and good and um what is true is being suppressed and when it is absent when people aren't you know when maybe people aren't taking action for good and mm. um aren't doing the right things uh then evil has no uh, opposition evil can just go and do whatever it wants to do mm. and continue to grow and succeed. Okay. Y'all yeah. here today. Y'all ready for this today. <laughs> yeah, I just think of apathy and complacency. Um, evil needs the lack of an obstacle to grow because i think unfortunately i'm not saying this out of like all people are innately evil but i just think that that's our nature is to go back to what's comfortable and i think unchecked like evil is kind of the default um selfishness is the default only looking out for yourself and your family and what's easy for you, what's comfortable, like that's just all human nature. And so evil doesn't, um, I don't know, evil just needs nothing to, right. I'm trying to say like evil doesn't need something to stand up to it. You guys know what I mean. Yeah, 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 we got you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get that, I get that, yeah. So um, I guess I should share my answer before I share uh, Edmund Burke's answer. What does evil need to succeed? Uh, I would have to agree with uh, 
Jay, or at least specifically the point of the absence of good or, you know, just suppression of the truth, you know, um, apathy, uh, indifference. Um, I believe those things, if evil has those things, it, it may just pull out the W. Uh, but my main man, Edmund Burke, from the late 1700s said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I was like, man, that's so powerful. It's <laughs> like, man, this man said this back in the late 17, the 1766, he said this. Wow. And it's like, wow. It's like all evil needs is for good men to do nothing. You know, imagine if the Avengers just let Thanos just get away with everything. You know. Yeah. Oh, hold up, hold up, Dom. We didn't oh, here we go. <laughs> alert! Uh, before you said that, we're gonna cut that from the. Uh, we're gonna cut that from the. Uh, there are no. I feel like if you're real, if you are gonna care enough for a spoiler, then you've already seen the movie. You know what I mean? Right, Jay. <laughs> you can put that in the description. Spoiler alert. Spoiler for this really random thing that doesn't exactly relate. <laughs> I didn't spoil anything. I just said they wouldn't let Thanos get away with everything. Get away okay. with what? Just kidding. Oh, hey, you know, <laughs> go watch. Listen, I'm sure most of y'all are listening. If you're listening to podcasts, you most likely have Disney Plus. Uh, so go <laughs> watch yeah. all of the MCU movies. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll understand everything. Uh, but, you know, it's always important for me to share what God has to say on this subject. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it, is, it is very important to me to share what God has to say just about indifference, evil, and what good people should do. Or good, if you call yourself good, if you think yourself to be good, what you should do. In Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And that's mighty. I mean, you know, that is God expects good people, people that profess themselves to be good or right, to offer themselves as living sacrifices. That means you are you are laying down yourself for other people. That's what that means, essentially. You are putting yourself in the way to protect other people, right? You, you know, words that come to mind is like protection, um, you know, love. I think of those type of words, you know, I kind of see, I see someone standing in front of someone else, like a bodyguard, you know? And it also says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Yeah, I love that because it's like, specifically talking about opposing what I was talking about before with like the just our human nature like 
to not conform takes not being apathetic and not complicit. Yeah, right. Yeah. If we want to get into breaking down the scripture, uh, I really love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures because it, it talks to people who try to be or try to ration or try to rationalize or people who try to justify. But the part where it says spiritual worship, spiritual is logikos, just it's, it's reasoning. You know, it's, it's making sure that it is real and it's practically scientific. You got to test it out. Hmm. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great passage, one of my favorite verses as well. And um, yeah, I think it's like the idea that we've got to be willing to, um, you know, really remove ourselves from, from worldly thinking or worldly ideals and really try to approach this from a, from a, I guess, an ultimate uh, universal truth, I think, that comes from God. And uh, to really be able to test and approve what his will is and not let our own biases uh, from the world really affect us, but really choose to have a renewed mindset and try to see things from his perspective and his character. Uh, there are a couple of great verses from that same chapter that I really like, you know, that are, I would say are relevant to our topic of discussion here, uh, or this, this quote that you had from Edmund Burke. Uh, you know, later on in, in the same chapter, it, it says, uh, you know, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Mm. And then uh, yeah. do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, basically, this this episode is just the tip of the iceberg with our topic of white fragility, and it's it's really important for us to not just surfacely discuss these topics because they're not just one and done things. These are really deep things. And here on Embrace, we want to make sure that we are teaching, but also just diving as deep as, as we can into what these things mean and how you can fight back. That's the purpose. We want you to be able to combat these things and not just be a victim of it. Mm. Um, and so because of that, you know, we, we look to what God has to say. You know, God offers, hey, you know, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Uh, G Jay pointed out later on in that chapter, uh, you know, overcome good, you know, overcome evil with good. Um, but we're going to get more into that. Uh, but it's always important to share what God has to say on the subject of confronting the, un the uncomfortable. And that's what we're going to dig into more today. But uh, we're about to get into our shout out sections next. Um, I have a shout out uh, for those of you listening. The shout out uh, section, that's a tongue twister. Shout out section. Shout out. Say it again, Dom. Shout out, shout out. Am I saying sh shout out? There we go. Shout, shout out. out section. <laughs> shout out. Is that, is that real country of me to say it like that? Shout out. I thought you were from DC. I am from DC. I've been living in Richmond too long. Um, the shout out section, what we do here on Embrace, 
we choose a Black-owned business around the city here in Richmond, Virginia, and we shout them out. We lift them up. We encourage them. We go eat their business, or at least just talk and discuss certain businesses in the city that deserve attention that you may not know about. And it's actually really fun. We actually end up going and experiencing different restaurants that we had no idea existed in Richmond. But today's shout out is a favorite. I'm sure we all have been there. The Croker Spot. Oh, yeah. Ooh, the Croker Spot. Oh yeah, that's the neighborhood right there. Croker Spot. Uh, The address is 1020 Hull Street, Richmond, Virginia. 23224. Check out the Croker Spot. Like, Jay, have you been to the Croker Spot? <laughs> no, of course not. You know, I only go to Taco Bell. You know, it's, it's for me, it's got to be Golden Arches. But no, seriously, I, 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 should, I should go uh, and check it out and really expand my horizon. Kelly it's, Jane. Hello. <laughs> I don't think anything from Croker Spots and Kelly Jean's diet. That's true. Oh, you so can't So Kelly Jean at least has an excuse. I do not, unfortunately. You can at least enjoy I the love allergy. They have great cocktails. Yeah, that's what I did at um oh man, at the taco place in Richmond. That's really good. Soul Taco? Yeah. Oh. Carl. That's what I did at Soul Taco. Couldn't have anything on the menu because of all of my dietary restrictions, but I got a cocktail and it was amazing. So I will shout out to Soul Taco also. Yes. Shout out. <laughs> How would you do it like that, Dom? Shout out. I'm afraid that I'm gonna say shout wrong. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I was saying earlier, one of us says shout, the other one says out. So then okay. you really need to focus on out. Shout out. There you go. <laughs> so speaking of Croker Spot, they actually have multiple locations. And they do. one of them where they have uh, a spot is in Petersburg, and it's really great. They have, they're mostly seafood focused out there, but yeah. Petersburg's a, a great community we should help out too. Yeah, yeah, the Croker Spot is good, man. My family came, uh, the day I got married, my family from DC came up and after the wedding, they they told me, I didn't know what they did after the wedding. I know where I went, but they said they went to the Croker spot. Like the whole family, like they all piled up in the Croker That's spot. Amazing. And they, the next time I actually saw them all was at a cookout, uh, maybe a month or two ago. And they were all upset with me. They were like, so you lived in Richmond this whole time and you've never not once told us about the Croker spot. And I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, How'd they you know, find it? They, I guess, um, well, my father knew about it. My father knew about it. And I think he was like, yo, we should go to the Croker spot. It's real good. He knew my grandmother was going to eat good. He knew my grandmother was going to love it, you know? So he got everybody to go to the Croker spot. My cousin is, is eating all the food. He's stealing people's cornbread that's coming with their meals. <laughs> I love cornbread. Oh, it's so good. Cornbread so much. Oh my gosh, dude! But you can you can have like is there a recipe for gluten free 
uh, cornbread that you found? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever made it myself since having to be gluten-free, but I know it exists. It exists. Wait, cornbread can be gluten-free because it's just corn as the flour yeah, and the grain. You'd think that most of it would. Anyway, that's a different topic altogether. But that sounds <laughs> Right. Well, that was our shout out section shout out to the croaker spot and some taco yeah clap 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 snaps that so kelly jane what's going on yo um there does in fact seem to be a lot going on that's what true do you want to talk about first uh Let's just jump right into what's going on with this Netflix war. I feel like every time we report an episode, there's some type of uh, war uh, where, you know, people are canceling something. I can't, one day, we're going to do a cancel culture episode one day, y'all. I promise. But. I feel like this case, it's a pretty good thing that people are canceling it, though. I don't know about Netflix altogether, but. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. Get it out of here. There's a lot of people that's like, no, it shouldn't be canceled. Like, they're rooting for the movie. What is it? <laughs> oh, thanks, Carl. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, there's a Netflix movie out. It's called Cuties, and it's about an adolescent dance team. And I assume that what people are like saying, oh no, it's a positive thing because it's about like female empowerment. But it's one of those tricky things where female empowerment actually just turns out to be for the sake of male pleasure, essentially, because it's extremely inappropriate. The outfits, the comments, the dancing, how they're teaching each other, it's all just extremely sexual. And these girls are like 11 and 12. Um, what gets me about it is that it's rated TV mature. Like, this is not a kid's movie. So you cannot make the argument that this is for kids in any way. Like, That's this already is a problem. Right. What do you say? That's already a problem. It's children are the content and it's already rated mature. Right. Yeah. That's a really oh. good point. Just right there should raise some red flags. Yeah. So, so what I've seen is, I guess, both sides as far as, you know, yes, this is, is, this is something that could potentially be used for people that are pedophiles, you know, that, you yep. know, ain't right in their head and they look at stuff like this and they fiend after it. Um, so having that type of content isn't helping the girls that are in this movie as actresses. It's not helping their families. It's not helping girls that look like them. And it's not helping the person who is lusting after them, right? It's just kind of adding to something they can have. And I think the government, for the most part, um, does somewhat of a job to uh, to police, um, you know, child sex trafficking. Um, it's, it's a huge problem still, but I've just seen a lot of efforts go toward it. And even just know people who are, 
uh, a part of the policing, you know. And then there's the side of the campaign that's posting pictures of the director and writer who is African-American, who's saying, you know, this is, this is her cautionary tale. You know, it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's to teach. It's to, um, you know, warn people. It's to, it's to bring awareness. Um, and I think where I'm at with it is, I'm like, that's, that's, a, that's a good intention, but what you intended it to be may not be what it ends up becoming because of what's ha- like, right. you know, like I, I, th- I think of some, some things when you're trying to bring a point to something, I think you might have to go super abstract, like super like artsy and abstract to the point where you could have did this whole movie with no, like you could have flipped the young people with the old people. So have grown adults playing playing young girls mm. and have the parents of the adults, quote unquote adults, be the kids. So mom is the 11 year old actress and you know, the daughter is the 30 something, 40 something year old woman, mm. you know? And I had that idea. I was like, man, I, you know, it, it at least would have taken the actual 11 or 12 year old girls out of the role that's sexualized. Yeah. Right? right. Yeah. It, it would at least save them from they're now doing something that could be seen as, you know, a, a, that can be uh, predatized. That, I don't know if that's a word. Predatized is now a word on embrace. <laughs> Creditized is now a word on embrace, man, as a race. But you, you guys get what I'm saying? I feel yeah. like there could have been more an artistic way to really drive home the point. Right. Uh, it, that, that saves everybody. That, like, keeps, it It should have protected, you know? You guys get what I'm saying. I, yeah. You know. So this is not a documentary? It is not. Mm-hmm. It's actual, like, enactment story. Um, but people are like going in, just like when we were talking about Cardi B's song um, and Meg Thee Stallion's song, whatever. People are like choosing a side, and like every post is about these things. And is that like real life, or is it just 2020 that people are being really divisive about these things? I felt like it's gotten worse this year. Yeah, like I yeah. feel like every time we have a podcast, we talk about things that are just like really important, really high stakes, and really like have a lot of opinions on both sides. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm just paying attention to it because it's everywhere now, or if it's always been like that. Yeah, and it seems like that that whenever uh, an issue bubbles up and there's a particular group of people that are against it then it seems like the people who may be opposed on other on other issues with those people may seem like they need to speak up the opposite Mm. and and it's almost like whoever is you know somebody's got to take the stance first and then the opposing party or the opposing group of people will have the opposing opinion it seems Mm -hmm. uh and it just it just always seems like there's just yeah that division and war about every little thing Nothing's uh, off the table. Everything is 
polarizing this year. Yeah. 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 This is a very complicated one. Um, and uh, so I, that's why I think I've been quiet the last few minutes because I want to be very careful about what I say. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's, I know that there are films over the years, I'm a big fan of film and big fan of classic cinema and everything. And it's interesting looking at Wikipedia uh, and they have a list of movies that were banned by a country. And it's quite fascinating, uh, the movies that over the years of history have been banned by various countries for various reasons. And uh, when you look back at it, you might actually laugh because some of them totally are like, you don't even realize it. You don't, you don't think, oh, what in the world did they see, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of like a, a movie may come across a certain way um, in its promotion and its cover and its trailer and its, uh, and maybe in the public mainstream view that it did not intend to uh, convey. Uh, and so that it becomes, to, it, it gets this sort of reputation uh, that then, for what, you know, that totally maybe misses the mark on what it was intended to do. Uh, as you mentioned, it was intended to be a cautionary tale. This ends up being uh, something that people are basically saying it's, you know, in a sense condoning. And that's why you have uh, backlash and uh, calls for boycotting. Um, yeah, I haven't, you know, and I think I would want to, you know, read the plot summary or really look more in depth into the reviews to really get a better understanding about the film before commenting on it. Uh, but I think it's an interesting discussion, though, is that, you know, um, because there's so many different movies that have portrayed so many different things that are vile and disturbing and disgusting and terrible, right? you know, uh, pedophilia is just one of many different horrifying things. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, at, at, at what, what line do you draw in regards to like, I guess in determining between like, you know, depicting something and sh like basically showing the, the horrors of something or showing the, um, terror of something that's bad, right, or evil, uh, versus the idea of endorsing it. Um, so is it, you know, and even a quote that I just saw from a website on a review, it says there's a saying in criticism that depiction does not equal endorsement. Art should be able to address taboos without necessarily advocating for them. Uh, so, and that's an interesting thing because in a situation like this, does it, director seems like they had a lot of thought they put into this, but indirect, like through this whole process, inadvertently, are they end up are they advocating for something? Are they or are they are they end up promoting something that uh, um, get, that getting into the wrong hands could be mm -hmm. wrong? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. I, as a creative, this I haven't seen the movie. This sounds like poor execution um, right. on their part. If it's if it's causing the problems it's trying to prevent and it's just a paradox at that point. Um, so if it's intentionally like that, hopefully they do make their point and the problem that it's addressing is 
is eradicated, but it does sound yeah. like it's it's problematic. Right. <clears throat> and yeah, I just want to be also as clear as I can be that I'm presenting two sides that I've learned about. Mm. My stance is that under no circumstances is pedophilia and things like that, predatorial things, none of that is acceptable. Uh, let me be very clear about that. Um, but I'm also a creator and I'm, I'm not, I'm also not here to tell people who create or write things how to do their thing. That's what this young woman felt. Uh, that's what she thought would be the best way to get her point across. Uh, but I, I don't think it was, a, I don't think, I think it could have maybe had some more thought put into it. Uh, especially since this is a very, very touchy topic. Like this, this topic isn't like violence, you know, uh, although violence is very serious or something like, you know, just, just other things that are just as bad, but, you know, uh, when, when dealing with children and kids is just a very, very touchy, hard thing. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just being as well on a mainstream platform like Netflix, yeah, I mean, they got to think through these things, you know, before they put these things on there. Uh, you know, it, it's one thing if you release an art film at a film festival that only 20 people are going to see mm -hmm. and only the most uh, snobbish of critics are ever going to watch. <laughs> but in this situation, you have Netflix, mainstream platform that millions upon millions of people have. And along with that, many kids have. And so it basically what, you know, the kind of stuff that kids are seeing and what they're seeing presented of themselves if little girls see this, what, what, what kind of image is that setting? What kind of example is that set? I, I don't know. It's like, right. what kind of damage can this be done? And along with, you know, just how many other people who could, could use something like this and instead of get the artist's intended um, message out of it, just use it for their own uh, pleasure, for wrong, yeah. uh, you know, that feeding into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, uh, to the desires of, of uh, somebody who's going down that route of pedophilia. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, but I, like I said, my idea of I just wonder how different the movie would would be. I haven't seen it, but I just wonder how different the movie would be if they would switch the adults and the children as far as roles. I mean, it's already a bold, like a bold movie, right? It seems like so. Hey, might as well be bold and just even switching, do a weird like switch up the casting and do mm -hmm. adults as children and children as adults. Yeah. All right. Suggestion there, Dom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to do something uh, that I haven't done. We're going to merge our next two what's going on's uh, topics with our main squeeze of today. Wow. Uh, our main squeeze of the day is confronting the uncomfortable white fragility part one because this topic is. It's just too big to do one episode on, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you. Um, so before before we get into the next two uh, current event topics, what is white fragility? Let's start there.
is that? Let's break down what this means and the different interpretations that people have of it. I don't have a formal definition per se. I'm pretty positive that the book White Fragility, I'm sure has yeah. <laughs> like a drawn out definition. But when I think of White Fragility, I just think of, um, it's almost this like guttural reaction that white people can have when the topic of race is brought up because they know innately whether or not they say it, they know that bringing this up and confronting the issue of racism is going to rock their world and it's really uncomfortable. And so it's just so much easier to get combative, combative, combative and defensive and shut down the conversation before it can get to that level of uncomfortability. Yeah. Um, but I think how sensitive people are is proportionate to how comfortable in the world that is built around them they are. Yeah, I dig that. And I agree with what you said, Kelly Jane. Does anybody else want to take a stab before I give you the, the Google Webster, the Webster, Webster Google? Whoa. Yeah, Kelly Jane pretty much yeah, Kelly Jane actually gave you the Webster Google. Yeah, uh, basically. She yeah. is the Webster Google. I am Webster Google. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take her definition. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah, white fragility, um, discomfort, defensiveness. Those are two big words. Uh, that is essential when talking about white fragility. Um, discomfort, defensiveness, uh, ab about specifically racial inequality and injustice, uh, which brings me to the, the next two current events. Uh, I don't know this gentleman. I don't follow his music because I don't listen to too much country music, but uh, a man by the name of Chris Stapleton, country singer Chris Stapleton, apparently his fans are boycotting his music after he made some comments about Black Lives Matter. And when, when I first saw this article or whatever, um, I thought he had said something like crazy, like, oh, what do you, he said something about Black Lives Matter and now people are canceling him. But actually, uh, when when asked, um, asked about certain things, when, when asked about Black Lives Matters, Matter, he says, I think everybody should be doing more. It's time for me to listen, and it's time for other folks to listen. And when, when asked, do you support the Black Lives Matter movement or when asked do Black Lives Matter, he said, absolutely. I don't, I don't know how they could not matter. You know, like he just is like, of course, of course they matter. Of course they matter to me, you know. Um, and he took a stance. He took a stance. He asked, he answered the questions honestly. Um, but now his fan base is turning on him because of that. And that just like, and, and so you know, it's just also, um, 
you know, when, when we talk about the NFL, you know, where people don't go to the NFL for their political, you know, debates or tete-a-tetes. Um, but people are boycotting the NFL. They aren't watching football or they're not enjoying it simply because, you know, people have kneeled for the national anthem. I think now some players are not even kneeling, but they're just linking arms. They're not even kneeling. They're just linking arms. Yeah. Like they, yeah. Right, right. Go ahead, Jay. I was going to say that just with that, I mean, they had the, um, the the kickoff game of the season was the other night. You know, you had the Texans right. and the Chiefs, and they just linked arms. And right. you had fans in the, in the stadium booing. Right. Wasn't it about unity, not a protest? Yeah, it was just about unity. I mean, it was just linking arms, just a solidarity, unity, both teams coming together. Uh, you know, I mean, I could understand them booing because they were concerned that they were getting too close in that social distancing, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing. Is that what they were booing? I don't think they were booing because of that. Oh. This is an impact sport, so... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of heavy breathing, flowing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they were definitely going because of the uh, solidarity and linking arms. But I think that, uh, yeah, I think that's the whole thing, right? People just like, they don't want their sports to become political, but I, I they, they miss the fact that sports have, have had uh, definitely elements of, uh, you know, political um, protests or, uh, events uh, connected with different uh, sporting events over the course of decades. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, Lee, Billie Jean King, uh, you got the Mexico City Olympics. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got, I mean, so many other things. Yeah. Could it be that the fragile piece is fragile? Fragile, the fragility, oh. fragilement is. Uh, that is just unstable. Mm -hmm. There's there's all this reaction um, to something going on that they that people don't understand. I won't say who, but it is a fragile um, constitution, and they're just reacting to what they see, and they're assuming that it must be associated with this other cause or another cause, and therefore it's polarizing. It's divisive, and yeah. so it incites a reaction. Um, if you see that in a single person, you would say they're fragile. Mm. And if you see it across like a whole bunch of people, and we're associating this with white fragility, um, I honestly feel like they are assuming, or we can assume that they're assuming that you know, this is has something to do with Black Lives Matter, and it's part of the problem. So I I've read different tweets and articles from people who are saying both one that it was just for unity, but on the other side that it was specific to just kind of acknowledging the protests and what they're protesting for. So I'm not I really am not sure, but I do know that one of the players was saying how he's linked arms for things like autism awareness before. Like this isn't the first time that two opposing teams have linked arms to show unity for something. And so 
I mean, it really does depend on what you would consider political, quote unquote. Um, I don't think I would consider autism awareness as political, but if maybe all of a sudden there was a wave of um, people supporting people with autism who wanted really radical changes in our laws and the way that we see them, I could see that becoming political in my mind. Yeah. So I can understand like, this is football. I'm just here to have a good time on a Sunday, Monday, whenever they play football yeah. night. Um, go ahead. I have that quote for you, by the way. Oh, you have a quote? Okay, perfect. Well, the, the quote that you were referring to is uh, by Ryan Clark, football player, uh, was quoted saying, if, if y'all linked up, speaking of linking your arms, if y'all linked up for breast cancer, they're going to clap. If you link up for autism, they're going to clap. If you link up to honor veterans, they're going to clap. This was the kindest, most thoughtful, sweetest way to protest or demonstrate, and people still booed. That was yeah. his. I, I think the whole like, well, if you just would protest peacefully, then maybe I would listen to you. I think that is just such a farce. Like, I think that's just like a really easy way for you to dismiss a huge problem that's in front of your eyes it's really easy to just be like well you didn't say how, how i liked it so i'm not going to listen but even then when again i guess it's unclear about whether or not this was actually a sign of protest or not but even when people are protesting literally like you said as sweetly as possible they're still going to find a problem with it because they want to right and i think even even thinking about, uh, let me say this before we continue, is that, and I feel like I finally have the platform to be able to say something like this or drive this point home. But it is brutally honest. It is blatantly obvious, is what I meant to say, is blatantly obvious that there is a problem where we have videos, mm. we have, you know, documentaries made, live action films made, years on years. We can even get personal and, and take the actual accounts from family members, our elders, grandparents and all that. There's like we're 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 past we're beyond proof of this problem, and to tell someone that's hurting to ignore it is insane to me. Like it's. Whether they're an athlete or not, you know, people, there's people that's told LeBron to just shut up and dribble. Wow. As if, you know, and, and someone brought this point up to me is that it was, someone said to me that their friends that just want to watch football is like, that's not what I pay you for. I pay you to play football. I pay you to throw the ball and catch and, and, and win touchdowns. That's where my money goes when I watch football or I buy you know, jerseys and hats and memorabilia. That's what I pay for. And I'm like, oh, like they're slaves. 
Yeah. Like, like their property. Yeah. Like they don't have problems outside or off the field. You may say, well, you get the big, the big bucks to, to deal with this. And it's just money isn't everything. These are human beings. This is a job that they have. They just happen to have a job in which they get paid a lot, just like doctors. That's like telling a doctor not to worry or care about the fact that their skin is black and there's certain things they have to deal with emotionally about that. Mm, wow. Would you, I, I will pose this question if you're listening and you feel some type of way about it. Would you rather black people just be quiet and die? Are we supposed to just willingly go to our graves? and allow what's happening to us to just happen? Because that's the alternative. Mm -hmm. Unless you see a different alternative, that's what I think of. Oh, you don't want to hear it? So you obviously just want us to be quiet about it. Wow. And just, and just die, and just get killed off one by one until there's no one, no, nothing left. Like, it's, you know, that that's, I think that's the question that I pose that, Think about that. If you are someone listening, hey, if you're someone listening that's like, you know, I don't get down with white fragility and, and I don't like Black Lives Matter. And if you completely disagree with what we're saying, that is completely fine. We welcome you here in this conversation. This conversation, we, we want to have this conversation with you. It's a hard one, but we're going to tackle it. But that's a deep question for you to answer. Would you rather black people just be quiet and die? Because that's what's going to happen if we were to. Well, I think um, yeah. I'm, uh, this is, doesn't warrant any response, but if black people are people of color and all the, the lineages that led to people of color being who they are today, if all those, um, if all the genealogy disappeared from history, I'm really curious if people thought about how to quantify that, what would the impact be? Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have the same worlds we have today. You know, you wouldn't think the way you, you do today, you wouldn't feel the way you do today because there's a lot of cultures, a lot of heritage, and we've talked about those things. And that that leads up to what we have today. And it's a lot of influence. Right. right. Are you just, you're just saying kind of in general, like if we didn't have race as a concept because all of that was a race, is that what you mean? No, I'm just saying if we had the our thinking today and suddenly Dom and I and everything we're affiliated with disappeared from existence. Does that make sense? And you woke up tomorrow morning, there were no black people. Because yeah. my concept of black people has disappeared or black people and brown people and anyone who isn't white disappeared. Yes. The latter. The latter, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The world would be so much worse. Like, quantifiably worse. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And that, that's the thing. It's just like, you don't want to see that alternative of none of us being here. Yeah. 
because that would have an impact, a huge impact, mm-hmm. um, bigger than I think we we know. But I want to I want to get into some of this Facebook stuff because it's actually interesting. And if you are listening and you are someone that struggles, if maybe you have identified with, man, I struggle with white fragility. Like I, I get agitated, I get defensive, I get you know kind of angry when these type of topics come up or you know, even this podcast was kind of like, uh, I don't know, they're going to get into the heavy stuff. Uh, this one's for you. You know, this is from an African-American male. Uh, he says, uh, white guilt is, and, and hang on with me because I know, but I promise this, this hopefully is something that heals you or starts some type of healing. It says white guilt or white fragility is white people thinking they need to feel sorry for what happened in the past to disenfranchise black bodies. Personally, and I'm quoting him personally, I think white guilt is unnecessary because no one wants anyone today to feel sorry for the past. We just ask people to acknowledge it so that the current decision-making can build a better future for all people that have been excluded. And I thought that was amazing from this, from this guy here who is African-American, who is saying, hey, we don't want you to feel guilty either. That's not what black people want, nor do we, are tr- we're not trying to push guilt. We're not trying to guilt people into anything. That's not the purpose of this podcast. That's not the purpose of Black Lives Matter, in my opinion, is not to push guilt or an agenda to make you feel bad if you are Caucasian. What this brother here says is that, you know, what happened in the past is the past. Those may be ancestors of yours. They made mistakes, but it doesn't mean, that doesn't have to be your mistakes. You're a new generation and you have the ability to make different choices. You don't have to be what your ancestors were. My ancestors were slaves. I am not a slave (laughs) and I refuse to be. What do you guys think about that response from someone who is African-American? For me, um, as a white person, I really do find that to be a huge relief. Um, I was talking to um, a woman who's black somewhat recently and was kind of just like musing like, okay, I mean, how much responsibility do I have? Even my ancestors, my ancestors didn't get here until 1910, I think from Europe. And so, you know, they weren't here when slavery was legal. And she was just like, yeah, it's just not really your job <laughs> to be worried about that, but it's more, what can you do today? Like, what can you take responsibility for today? This isn't about making you feel guilty or making you even think about what percentage of guilt you should feel based on what year your ancestors got here. Like, it's not about that. It's just about what can you do today? Um, and that made me feel a lot better, honestly. Um, not, um, 
not better in the sense that I felt like I was off the hook, but better in the sense that it gave me a more clear path forward and was pretty empowering, honestly, because you can't change the past and trying to change the past is really exhausting, Mm -hmm. but changing the future, that's something that we all have control over. So I found that really helpful. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great sharing from from that man. And I think that, um, because I think I felt that sense of guilt, especially uh, recently with like, especially when, uh, when the news of George Floyd's death and uh, everything that happened with all that right around that time, um, it was just, uh, I think I was just overwhelmed with guilt and um, just thinking that, you know, I I just feeling that, that level of um, sorrow, um, that man, like the problem that like feeling like I caused a problem, Mm. uh, simply because I'm white and that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to be hated because I'm white or because of this. And I think ultimately I had through conversations with people or, you know, and just even research and just even this, as the dialogue has continued since then, just thinking through and just thinking, having to realize that I, I need not take this personally. It's not, it's not about me. It's, this is a bigger issue, you know? Um, and, and I think that ultimately this idea of being swamped with guilt or overwhelmed with guilt, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, if you just sit there, it doesn't lead you to really take on and really make a positive difference today. Mm. Um, if you just, if you just get, because sometimes I think, I, I know for me, I feel like I can just get filled with self-pity yeah. or discouragement and just not do anything about it. Right. And ultimately, in my conversations with my African-American friends, that's not what they want me to do. They want me to, they want me to just take action right now. They want me, they want to feel supported. They want to feel loved. They want to feel heard. Right. And uh, right. and they want they want us to, to just hear and uh, yeah, that, yeah, that hurt is important. I just wanted to lift that up. What you said about being heard, like I said, sometimes we just want to have a safe place to be able to tell you stuff, yeah. you know, uh, just to ex- share experiences. Um, I want to share this Facebook uh, post because I feel like this also drives what's happening right now further home mm. and. Yeah, and this this is just part one, y'all. This I mean, we could sit here and talk about this all day, uh, but this person, someone who is uh, is Caucasian, says, "If I were explaining white guilt to someone that had never heard the term, I would say it's a feeling of guilt or shame that a white person can get after discovering their white privilege. It's a natural feeling to have. I want to I want to point that out. This this person says it's a natural feeling to have yeah but it can cause problems when people are so guilt-ridden that it keeps them from trying to help or when they center their own feelings when it's not appropriate i would say anything around race or privilege would make someone with white guilt uncomfortable so i think it's interesting when even talking about 
you know, I think of something, this is not off topic, I promise, but I think of, and this is a natural human trait that we automatically get defensive ego, right? When we even think someone is pinning something on us that, that, that shouldn't be on us. Like yeah. being accused, even when you're not being accused, you know, it's like, it's the, you know, the, the, the person is there and you know, this person like cookies and <laughs> you come downstairs and, and be like, man, who ate all the cookies? And then that person is like, well, I, you know, and they get defensive. It's like, no, I, I didn't even accuse you. Yeah. Why are you getting so upset? It's, it's like that. And that happens to everybody. Everybody's Absolutely. been in the, in the, like the person that's like, I'm not accusing you, relax. And everybody's been in the, well, I didn't, I didn't eat the cookies. You know, everybody's going to be talking about this. Everybody's going to be talking about this, this awful analogy that I use. Uh, <laughs> people that, can be hitting my phone. Like, you can I have some cookies, Dom? No, I don't, no, I don't bake cookies, I mean, bro. You should make your own meme <laughs> out of that. But uh, <sighs> to, to that point and this, the, the second point that the earlier post had made, it's, it creates this uh, fear response uh to being accused it's like initially defensive and we've already seen some of the like out of the phase one of the racial injustice uh movement with videos of white people just like node and screaming bloody murder i'm not a racist don't call me karen that's not me um after doing something really shady it's I think that's the manifestation of this, this fear. I do not want to be associated with it. And right. I don't think we should be critical of people's sensitivities um, right. or take advantage of them or exploit them or criticize them for them. Um, but we do need to hold people accountable um, right. for their sensibilities, like what they, what they know. We can't blame them for what they know or don't know. Well, we can help them, you know, help right. shepherd them into, you know, a better mindset, um, a better outcome um, so that what, if it's white people, if what they're sensitive to and what their reactions are, they can be harmful to other people. Um, right. We should also be sensitive. We should also be loving and gentle and, and, you know, get to the point where we can just, you know, wash our hands of the situation. Like we let you know, if you decide not to accept this teaching, it's not on us. You know, right. there will be consequences. Right. I, I completely hear that. And um, on this podcast, we looked at, we, we look at all angles and we look at all perspectives. And I definitely agree when I say that, you know, you know, white fragility is real and it, it can be damaging, but I think, you know, black people are on the hook too. Yeah. I think we, I think we can fuel and feed white fragility. It could, it could very much come from us also. I'm not saying that we're how the so? only them. What'd you say? Sorry. I said, how so? Like, how do you see that? Uh, just, just like what Carl said about, you know, the whole like Karen movement, you know, calling mm -hmm. white women Karens or Beckys, you know, um, Beckys. you know, it's, <laughs> you know, and like, just even, even the, 
the the videos bringing awareness to some of these videos is bringing awareness back mm-hmm. to what we was talking about with cuties that awareness of oh man i'm sitting here having a picnic i'm grilling with my family i'm not bothering anybody and this random white person this random white woman approaches me and threatens to call the cops on me yeah yes we need awareness to that that's important got you but when that becomes something that we're now poking fun at when that becomes now we are villainizing we're weaponizing weaponizing that is creating guilt that's that's creating a defensive mechanism in our white counterparts mm-hmm. you know it, it's they're already defensive now you know they're already ready to be like i'm not that i'm i'm not that you're not going to do that to me you know because yeah. it's also <laughs> that's what i was saying like we can we can feel that we can so, also feel that and that's yeah. I'm so um, yeah, it reminds me. <laughs> it reminds me of Proverbs fifteen one: a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what you're saying is that like it's kind of like instigating people right. who don't want to be called Karens. I totally yeah, that totally makes sense. Kind of related, kind of unrelated. I'm a little bit glad that the term Karen exists because I feel like it is giving me like the teeniest, tiniest glimpse into what it is like to be racially profiled. Mm. And I feel, you know, it's awful that it, yeah, it's awful that that is like something that I only have a tiny glimpse in and people like live that every day. But um, my, both my roommates are black and they were like joking about a Karen the other day. And I was like, I feel a little bit uncomfy and I'm just going to sit in this and I'm going to feel it because this is what black people have to go through all the time. I don't, obviously I don't, you know, it'd be great if nobody could be racially profiled, but it just gave me a glimpse. That's kind of a side note. Yeah, certainly I, I don't think the Karen movement should just, should perpetuate, you know, as the Karen movement or I don't know, I've never heard of Becky before. It's it's a concept. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, it's a concept and I think we should appreciate the concept and we should not abuse it. Right. Right. Well, uh, we're going to put a pin in that y'all. Cause like I said, we can talk about that all night. Uh, so we're going to put a pin on white for, we're going to put a pin in what are you singing? <laughs> Jay's like not letting you have it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. When I get into a song, I just go for it. I'm like, I'm really. Are you? What are you singing? Simply red. He knows no. what he's singing. No, no, I was singing <laughs> Lionel Richie, dude. Well, okay, hold up. I was singing Lionel Richie, and then I started adding my own lyrics to it. Oh, gotcha. You know, all night long, and like, then pop uh, sensation just happened in front of us, and we missed it because yeah, know, out. Well, yeah, that's why it won't make sense sometimes. I'll come up with like. I'll start singing a song and then start adding lyrics that kind of are different. So that's that's the perfect segue because we are now in Jay's segment of hit picks. I know you got something for us, man. Yes. Let me hit you with some hit picks. All right. Nice. And um, 
yeah, this is the moment I'll probably talk the most on this on this episode. Um, <laughs> Wait, Jay, you just said you make up your own lyrics. Can you make up your own theme song right now? Oh, yeah. Kick it with the hip picks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these hip picks. Okay. All right. Um, probably just get your brother to help with the theme song for this. Yeah, yeah just yeah. like do a little remix of what you just heard there. Right. <laughs> All right. Um, that was on the spot, y'all. I'm trying to improvise like Mr. Dom. Whoa. All right. So, hit picks. Okay. So, two great albums I want to tell you about. Okay. And you need to go and listen to them right now. You, of course, they're on Apple Music, they're on Spotify. Uh, you can buy the actual CDs. You can buy them on vinyl. Uh, they're, they're everywhere because they've been around for nearly 50 years. Uh, both of these two albums I want to talk about are two of my all time favorite albums. And of course, many, many music critics. Music magazines have rated these as some of the best albums of all time. Mm -hmm. And they were both released in the early 70s. And I like to call them uh, my like social reform Motown picks. Okay. Okay. So like I'm talking about two different artists who got their start, you know, with Motown records and uh, released, uh, you know, released these albums uh, under the Motown you know, banner uh, or around, yeah, basically with Motown Records, yeah. but it's a different time frame and it's different stuff they're talking about. They're not just talking about like, you know, I love you, you're awesome, and uh, you know uh, how sweet it is to be loved by you, or signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. No, we're we're not talking about that. We're talking about real issues going on in our Probably world. Stevie Wonder now. That's right. We're talking about um, you know with uh, Marvin Gaye, what's going on. Mm-hmm. and Stevie Wonder, Inner Visions. Ooh. These two phenomenal albums, uh, I just think are so, uh, just so amazing lyrically, uh, musically. Um, the uh, I guess I can just try to break them down as best as I can real quick for you guys. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Marvin Gaye, uh, just really uh, being able to uh, record different uh harmonies and different, uh, you know, voices and, and, and different styles of singing throughout his songs and even have like these different tracks that kind of get merged together and produce as if it's like one long song. And yeah. it's like him uh, giving his thoughts on different issues going on in the world at the time. Uh, issues about war, issues about, you know, um, you know, just looking after the children, saving the children or uh, dealing with, uh, you know, income inequality. Uh, dealing with, um, you know, protests, dealing with, um, you know, just the, you know, division in our world, uh, dealing with the issues with the climate and the environment and uh, all that's being uh, talked about and touched on and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a, it's a fantastic um, uh, album that uh, really his heart and soul is all in it. And he expresses, I think overall, the arch, the overarching me- message is that we need, uh, to have God's love in this world. And uh, that's that's what we need to have. And that's what we need to give to others. And that's going to be the key. Um, and I think that message still rings true to this day, nearly 50 years later. And uh, with some of the same issues that he was singing about then, it's happening now. And right. then with Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you've watched The Pursuit of Happiness, 
you've already listened to half the album. Okay, sure. I don't know. Basically, the director must have really loved that album and <laughs> take every right. track like that and put it on there. Um, I am just blown away when I found out for the first time that Stevie Wonder not just played like piano and keyboards and sang on these things, but he played, you know, all the various instruments throughout the octaves and, and different uh, registers and tones and, and, and like different, uh, all these different things. And it's like, wow, like there's different people I thought were backup singers on the album. And it's actually just Stevie Wonder singing differently. Yeah. And I'm thinking, whoa, okay. And you know, you've got some amazing tracks there. Uh, we're living for the city. Living for the city, yeah. Jesus, Children of America, which is my personal favorite. And, uh, you know, uh, Don't You Worry About a Thing. But he's talking about different things about drug use. He's talking about, you know, issues of the, the political uh, uh, sphere at the time, you know, dealing with uh, racism, dealing with uh, income inequality. You know, all these are prisons. Prisons, yeah, the yeah. prison system. And so all that and just how relevant that still is to this day. Um, I think if I were to choose between the two, I would probably prefer Intervisions for its verse, for its, uh, I just feel like it's a more dynamic uh, mm. musically uh, album. And uh, and I think it's got a little bit more variety when it comes to the style of different songs throughout. Uh, but I will say that there's something really amazing just by getting a chance to sit down and listen to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On from beginning to end, nonstop, in solitude, yeah. I think there's something really special about that. And I think we just need to take more time to listen to both of those two albums right here, right now. Hit picks, that's it. Go check those out. Inner Visions and what's going on. Spotify, Apple Music, the record store down the street. Free advertisement. Yeah. I've got it at my house. Come on by. Right. So we're starting our Spotify playlist too. So, right, wow. Spotify playlist. Yeah, yeah, the Spotify playlist is going to be basically be the Pursuit of Happiness soundtrack. We're just going to take the entire Intervisions album, just throw it on there. Or can we just start like hit picks, like hit pick playlists? Yeah. Yeah, we can start a Spotify account and then have all these playlists for people. There you go. Um, I saw your Spotify today when I was trying to look up the playlist or our podcast on Spotify. Yeah. And wow, you have so much music for me to <laughs> I have so I'm many so playlists. And they, they like all the playlists get listened to. Wow. Yeah, what I actually have what you're saved too. By other people than you? Yeah. Well, I well, so I'm say, what I'm saying is I listen to all of the playlists. Like they oh, all get listened to. Some of my some of my playlists I've learned that Spotify has like shown them to other people and other people have followed them. So like for Why instance my my New York like old school hip hop playlist. Um it's the playlist is dedicated to early New York hip hop. And I, I was surprised. I was getting like dings and stuff like that. I would get emails, uh, and it's like the the follows are like in the thousands. Like how many wow. people are following? You know the the. Wow, you really are famous. Don't right. the future career as a disc jockey. All right, I need, I need to see that playlist. Send yeah. it my way today. <laughs> I follow um, Prince Jackson right now. That's crazy, yeah. Prince. So even, so the verses that they do now, uh, Swiss Beats and Timbaland, they do the verses where they have two artists, iconic artists, 
face off with 20 records against each other of their of their discography. I was doing that before. I just want to point out that if you go to my playlist, you'll see I have, I take two artists and then I like merge them together. And it's like song after song. Carl can attest because he has Prince Jackson, which is Michael Jackson and Prince. And it's song after song after song, one after the other. Just want to point that. Just I, you know, you didn't gotta give me flowers, but it's okay. Yay! I did it first. Wow, the OG, dumb. So, uh, and that, and okay, if you don't mind me kind of going on a tangent with this and taking over this uh, episode here. <laughs> All right. So, which one is going to win between Michael Jackson and Prince? Who's better? Who's got the better catalog? Who's got the better, you know, music? So, here's the thing. When, <laughs> so, when I listen to when I listen to that playlist, it depends on the mood I'm in. Sometimes I find myself really like grooving to the prince, so much so that I'm skipping over some of the Mike's songs. But sometimes I'm in the mood for Mike, and sometimes I'm grooving more to the Mike songs, and I'm skipping over some of the Prince songs. So I'm honestly right in the middle. It just depends on how I feel on the, on the day that you ask me. So I guess today how I'm feeling is Mike. But if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I might say Prince, depending on how I'm feeling. Gotcha. So it could be like an MJ day or uh, a Prince day. Right. Yeah. Or Prince Michael day. It's like a mood ring. His son. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was Jay's hip hit, hit pick section. And uh, we'll I don't even remember how the song went that I just made up. Well, you got to make up a new song every I'll time. I'll make up a new one. Thank <laughs> you for checking out the hip picks. Guys, really fast. So my best friend and I are obsessed with Gilmore Girls. And one time we had Carl over to watch an episode with us. And our rule was any, we had like, we watched it for 24 hours straight. We had guest stars with us and we made them make up the theme song, even though Carl had never heard it before. That was our rule. And Carl was the only person to actually try and do it. Everyone else was like, that's stupid. Really? Come on, Carl. <laughs> it was great. If you're out on your own. Yes, Jay. What is happening? My wife listens, watches that all the time. Uh, it's your wife. I asked her, I asked her, okay, so which season are you in now? And she's like, I don't know. Just put it on. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I watched it like nine times through. Anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll pick back up on this Gilmore Girls conversation <laughs> on part two of Right Fragility, uh, Dom's Fragility. So actually, I was going to watch, I was going to watch Gilmore Girls because my wife likes Gilmore Girls. Oh my God. And yeah. my friends like Gilmore Girls too. And I was like, I'll sit down and watch all the way through. And they were like, uh, it's not for you. <laughs> it's not for you. Like, it's just too not black. So I was like, oh. okay. <laughs> I was deterred. I was deterred from watching it. But yeah, no, maybe one day, maybe one day. One time, Casey and I were watching from two different rooms because I was growing up, and she, we would call each other when there was something notable happening, and one of the notable things that happened was that there was a black person on the screen. So oh, you're not incorrect. <laughs> Dang. Well, uh, we have we have to end this episode. Uh, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna close. I'm having so much fun, but I promise we'll get to white fragility part two. 
but just to close, to drive home the, the lesson is that, like one of my friends said, it's perfectly normal for you to feel defensive feelings toward topics like this. When I posted my questions on Facebook, I didn't get as many answers as I did for other questions. Other questions that tackled white privilege, other questions that tackled seeing color and all that. You know, with this question, I didn't get that many. I got a lot of likes, well, a good number of likes, but I didn't get a, a lot of comments to share. And then that told me something. That told me that people are really, this is a really touchy topic. This is a scary topic for people. And it's okay. It's okay to feel these feelings toward these things. I want you to leave this podcast to know that, hey, I echo the same sentiment as the brother that said that, hey, you know, black people ain't, ain't looking for you to feel guilty. We just want to be equal. We don't, we don't want you to feel guilt. We don't need your guilt. That's not going to help us. That's not going to make us feel better. We're not campaigning for you to feel bad about the past. We want to move on just like you do. But we can't because we're still oppressed today. I want you to leave this podcast knowing that you can, you can, you can work through your guilt. Know that your guilt, your defensiveness can stalemate you. It can leave you ineffective. And I know you out there, you want to be effective. You want to be impactful. You want to change the world. You want to be an ally. You want to help people. Well, this topic is, is something that has to be dealt with. You can't walk around it. You can't ignore it. So I think the first thing is talk about it. I think that's the first step is to find somebody you trust, whether they're white or black, and just talk to them about it. It's like, hey, you know what? I feel rather guilty. And it's hard for me to talk about racial inequality. It's hard for me to talk about racial injustice. I get in mad. I get mad when people kneel or bring it up in some type of way. I'm struggling with that. Talk about it. Talk about it with someone who's gonna help you with those feelings. Talk about it. Let's embrace.